Okay, well, let's go ahead and begin this evening and uh, with a word of prayer. Lord, we are thankful that you give us uh, the reminders and warnings in the Scripture that you're just not a God that leaves us without uh, any sort of signs that are indicating that we need to beware, and uh, this is one of those passages this evening. So, Lord, help us as we look at your Word. Uh, May we understand the message you were trying to get across to individuals, uh, their desperate need, uh, not just uh, ones that were needs, but uh, eternal needs that they had, and uh, may we learn from it. And this we pray in the name of the Savior, amen. Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. We're in Luke 14. I know last week the notes said Luke 7, but we're in Luke 14. Uh, That's where we're at um, for this. This is, and I I do want to remind you, a continuation. Without uh, the previous passage, you would not understand this. It's like, you know, you sometimes come in on uh, a series, if you're watching a series and you missed the first few parts and then you're like, what's going on here? I have no idea what's going on. Or you read a book, and you, you start later in the series and you're like, well, I, I don't understand who these characters are. Um, you need to have last week's because this is supposed to be taken as a combined thing, even though there's three parables. And last week we talked that there was this meal that Jesus went to. It was a Sabbath meal, uh, which means that it was a uh, not a big feast, but it was a feast after what we would, you know, Sunday dinner. But remember, with Jewish rules, there would have not been as big a meal. Uh, it would have been prepared the day before and all of that. So it was not a huge meal that they were part of. And Jesus is uh, there watching as they're watching him. There's a man that has fluid in uh, his joints and, and in different parts of his body. He's deformed. Uh, they're watching to see if Jesus is going to heal them. And he has to, t- first of all, teach them that it is okay uh, to heal on the Sabbath day. In fact, they are willing to pull animals out of a pit on the Sabbath day. It's not a human being more than a, an animal. And they don't have an answer for that. But in the, them watching him, he's watching them as they come to this feast and sit down and set themselves up. And he has two parables. One is a parable of humility where he is uh, teaching them on how they ought to come into a feast, where they ought to sit, that there ought to be humility and not just merely a false humility that, you know, look at me, you know, the humble brag, look at me, I'm being humble, you know, see where I'm sitting but truly in their heart that they've got an estimation of themselves that's right in the sight of God, that they aren't God, they aren't equal to God. Uh, In fact, they're sinful, that they really are not uh, that great. That's one of the problems the Pharisees had. And that uh, in comparison to others, they should not think of themselves more highly than they ought to think. On the other side, he talks to the host, and he says, you ought to be thinking in the generous terms. And there was the parable of generosity where Jesus challenges uh, the man with, uh, and future hosts uh, with who they ought to invite to these things, not just your, your friends and people who can recompense you with a party later. You know, you're you're going to get something back for this, your investment. Uh, the, the, and what the Lord says, you need to think about people you cannot or excuse me, that cannot repay you. The poor, the the weak, the sick. Um, These individuals that have nothing to give back, they would enjoy being at the feast, but they're never going to throw one themselves. The Lord says you need to consider inviting individuals to be a part of that that are like that. 
That's all set up for the occasion that we have in verse number 15. And I'm going to read straight through the whole event, but you're going to see what leads to the third parable that the Lord gives. It's all the same thing. You're sitting here at this meal for the Sabbath day. All of this is being taken, or taking place here. So chapter 14, verse number 15, it starts this way. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he, Jesus, unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. Uh, The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it's done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. The Lord said unto the servant, Go unto the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled." And here's the Lord speaking, for I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. What you have here is a parable that has some familiarities. If you read through your Bible, you're going, I think I've heard this parable before. Uh, That there's not just one place where this is at, there's another place where this is at. And if you were to think through my, you know, initial coming to this passage, I thought of this other passage, and then I had to correct myself that there's a different parable going on here. But there's a parable in Matthew chapter 22 that you have a wedding feast, okay? It's not just a feast, it's a wedding feast that is there. But there you have, in your notes, the response to the invitations were violent. In fact, they kill the people coming out. And the king kills the people who have killed his messengers. And in the end, uh, the feast ends with someone not having the right garment. Okay, that's the, the blank that's there. They don't have the right garment. I mean, that's how the parable ends. It's, you're thinking that's the parable. He invites other people to come. They show up. But the parable ends with, you're wearing the wrong wedding garment. So it's a completely different ending, a completely different emphasis in the parable. Also, Luke, the parable is given to Pharisees, whereas in Matthew, the parable is told against religious leaders, or against Pharisees, but against them. Here, you do have an appeal to the Pharisees, okay? It's a challenge to them, their thinking, their mindset, not warning people, don't be like the Pharisees. Uh, as you have in Matthew chapter 22. So there's a difference there. There's, this is, I, I've just said, they called this the parable of the great banquet. But we will get to one that's called the parable of the wedding feast. And we'll go through uh, the details on that one and some of the things that are unique to it as we go along. 
Uh, that one, I think, if I remember correctly, it's told in, in the temple also. If I remember correctly, Jesus in Jerusalem, and there's no indicator that Jesus is in Jerusalem when he gives this one in Luke 14. So what you have in Luke chapter 14, verses 15, is you have a proclamation or the proclamation. And Jesus has gotten a response. I mean, he's got people who are thinking about what he's saying, but probably not in the direction the Lord's wanting. He's saying, be humble, be generous. And he has an individual there that's thinking about the best feast that's ever going to take place. And that's going to take place in the kingdom of God. That here on earth, you're going to have bounty unheard of in the history of mankind. Uh, You're going to have this, and the king is going to be there, invite people to come and be a part of the feasting with this king. And so what he does is that he is listening to this. He's hearing about the instructions about who you invite to your feasts and festivals, and he's thinking this, well, blessed are the ones who are going to be part of the greatest meal in the future kingdom. And that final sentence there, it says this, he assumed that he and all in the room would be part of the blessed that would attend. Blessed are those that are part of this. And in verse number 15, he says, blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And he's assuming he's a part of that and all these other men that are in the room, which if you were to take a poll of people in society and you say, who's going to make it into the kingdom of heaven and enjoy it, everyone would, you know, unanimously go, uh, it's the Pharisees. And others would say, well, are you think you're going to make it or not? And people were like, well, I don't know. But, you know, if anybody's going to make it, it'll be the Pharisees. They'll be there. And so this man's kind of not even thinking in the lines of humility and generosity. He's going, hmm, I'm going to be part of this banquet someday. He's not getting what the Lord's lesson is as far as humility, which he needs in order to be part of the kingdom of heaven, or the idea of reflecting the character of God. And so the Lord takes this parable, and from the proclamation of this man, he works and he goes to this parable, and this parable, what we immediately find out is that he is addressing uh, the rejection of the invitation. Well, some of we don't understand as far as some of the details here when it comes to feasts and activities like this. If you were going to have a feast in society, you would give one announcement of invitation, Okay, you would give this in advance. If it was a wedding feast, you'd give it a year in advance. We want you to come and be a part of this wedding feast. And, and you would have the invitation go out. Regular feast, you would get a couple of weeks uh, announcement in advance, and it would be an official announcement. You would receive it, and it says, we want you to be a part of this. And at that point, you might say, okay, I'm not going to be able to make it or that type of thing. But if you received the invitation at that point and didn't say anything about it, it was expected you were showing up. I mean, you didn't do the other side of it and say, like we do in our society, an RSVP. You know, I am coming. In that culture, it was more you received the invitation and it was your responsibility up front and the initial one to tell them, I'm not going to be able to make it. That would have been the common courtesy. But what you have going on here is that the day of the event actually shows up. The invitation, the first invitation's already gone out. Now the invitation is everything's cooked. Now I, I think about this. Uh, we do not have the ability in, the, or in this time period for individuals to be able to refrigerate, freeze, do that type of thing. So when you fixed a feast, it needed to be eaten. 
You know, I was thinking about that today. We're stuff being cooked for tomorrow's ordination council. Well, what are you going to do? You can store it away and whatever and the like. And if we don't have the ordination tomorrow, which we are still having it, uh, you, you have the ability to store the food. You can reuse it, recook it. But when you had these feasts, the food's ready. You got to come and eat it because there's, you know, we, it's going to spoil. It's going to go bad. <coughs> Sorry. What you have is then this. The man uh, sends out his servant, and the servant goes, and we have the first individual. And when he comes to this individual, this individual in verse number 16, or excuse me, verse number 18 says this, that I bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. Pray have me excused. For us, you're thinking through this. Okay, and this ought to be the first question that hits your mind as you hear this person's excuse. And it's this. Did he not look at it before purchase or buying? Okay, that's the blank there. Uh, Before buying it. You know, did he just buy this site unseen? Today's culture, it's a little more like that. I mean, I I am surprised by the number of people who buy large items without ever in person seeing it. I remember this back in in, uh, 2020, we were looking uh, to purchase another car. Of course, it was a Prius, but uh, with our family. Um, But we were looking to purchase a new car. Well, a used car, that. But we went to a place, I think it was over in Naperville, if I remember correctly, because they had one that was at a very good price. And we went in there, and the man just said, you won't believe uh, you know, how the day has gone. It has been so busy. Uh, we have so many people trying to buy used cars. And it was back in 2020 where you couldn't buy new cars. So a lot of people were buying used cars. And he said, for instance, he goes, I had somebody that said, I want to see a car that you have. He says, I walked around, uh, showed them on video what the car looked like. They were from Colorado, and they said, we'll buy it. I was thinking, they didn't even start it up and drive it or anything like that, and they they were willing to buy it on the spot. Um, It's kind of what you have here, is that you have an individual who's bought a piece of land, and his excuse is, uh, I've got to go and check this out now that I've purchased it. Um, You have the question, did he not do this? Or maybe you might have this question, could he not look at it another day? What, you know, the, the, the land's not going to you know, disappear. It's still going to be there. You could go another day and take a look at it. But he has decided on the day of this feast, he's going to go and see this. And he says, can I be excused? And so you go, okay, well, all right. That's one person. But you get to the second one. In verse number 19, another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I must go and prove them or try them out. I pray thee, have me excused. And f- for us, you go, okay, this man had five team of oxen. For us, this is kind of hard to understand in this culture. Most people probably didn't have a team of oxen. They borrowed them from somebody else. Okay? This man has five teams. Five sets of two oxen that you'd yoke together and do a field. He's a rich man. Uh, They estimate, and I put it in the notes there, that some estimate he probably had 250 acres of land. Uh, Most people didn't have more than five acres or even an acre. This man is, is rich, um, and he's going, okay, I've got to test these things out. But the question for you might be this, 
could he not go another day to test them out? Or do you really think he's going to test them out? I mean, that, that, that's a thought that went through my mind. Do you really think he's going to test it out? He's rich. If he's got five yokes of oxen that he's got, he's probably got five individuals who can be driving behind, testing out the plow, and he can just merely, you know, go, oh, it works great, good job, you know. But that's his excuse. The third one that we have as far as excuse is this man says, I've gotten married and cannot come to the feast. Now, for Jews, they may have rang something in their head in Deuteronomy, you have a passage that if a person got married, you had a year before they had to go off to war, which you're going, okay, uh, going off to war, the man could get killed. They're at least giving a year before the possibility of him dying uh, and uh, this, uh, so the, the possibility of you know, having children and life, you still have this, but the man doesn't have to go off to war, okay? So that's the blank there. You have the excuse of a war. But this isn't a war. It's not he's going off to combat. It's just going up the street to go to a feast on a single day. You know, he might die choking on his food there, but I, you know, it's more than likely he's not going to die, and it's just a feast uh, for this. So you go through these three different men who have these things, you flip to the back page, and here's what you might say about all the excuses. All the excuses are lame, These are lame excuses at best, and the worst, they're downright offensive to the host. See, what we might forget, it would be like in our culture, a person who would send an RSVP and then intentionally doesn't show up. You know, they're already planning for this. You know, okay, you know, but I'm not going to be there. You know, you set a table up for us because we're going to be there. You've got everything decorated because we're going to be there, and we don't show up. You know, so you got this whole table that's empty, uh, that all this effort's been there to put and set things up. Um, okay, that, that's difficult. But in this culture, this would have been an affront to common courtesy, good manners, what's expected in society. It would be a, an affront to that. And here's, here's the, the real kicker on this. In some places in that culture, it would be an act of war. Okay, kings would go to war over an offense like this. Or you might have something like the Hatfields and McCoys. Families would go to war with one another over this slight. That's, that's how in, uh, you know, we'd say Middle Eastern or Arab culture, even today, you, you get an invitation, it's expected you to be there, you don't show up. It's, it's as if you have said, we don't like you, in fact, you're my enemy. That's how this would be taken. That, that's kind of hard for us to understand because we know people will do lame excuses at times uh, and, uh, you know, people will not come. And, and, and I'm not saying that this is, a, the, the passage is saying you never have an excuse for not showing up at a banquet. I mean, we understand that. But the excuses here are obvious that they're not really true excuses. So you have that, and you go, okay, what happens? Well, verses 21 to 24 just simply have this, that there's a broadening of the invitation. I mean, the host is angry. We do have that listed there in verse number 21 when he's told this, the master of the house being angry. I mean, he's not going, oh, I understand. In fact, I mean, I I think about this. You go back and you have the first two that at least say, uh, can we be excused? The third one's like, I got married, sorry, can't come. 
Doesn't even say, you know, I'm sorry. He's just going, can't come. Doesn't even ask to be excused. But the man is angry, and so what happens is this, is that um, you have the servants being told to go invite ones who would not normally be at the feast, and you go, who would that be? Well, think about what Jesus has just talked about, the poor and the sick. I mean, that's, that's what you have there in that blank, is that the poor. You go, why would you invite the, not normally invite the poor in this culture? Because they wouldn't be able to throw a feast for you. Well, here this man goes, go invite the poor, and go invite the sick, which you think about this, it's going to require some help for them to get there. They're maimed, they're blind. So the, the, the host is going to have to, you know, even work to get them to be there. But he says, you go invite those individuals, the servant brought those to the feast, and there was still room. And the man goes, you go and do this. And it sounds like the servant's already invited those. He's one step ahead of uh, the host. He goes, you've already been invited and there's still room. And he says, okay, you go out to now the the highways and you'd say highways and byways of life. You know, okay, no, it's the highways and hedges. Okay, that's how it's said here. But what you're supposed to do is that these individuals are supposed to go and compel those in far away and difficult places to show up. Now, for us, you kind of go, what does that mean? Well, well, we'll get to an explanation of why he says go to difficult places and faraway places. But that's his thing. And he says, you compel those people to come to the feast too. The last statement, the explanation, is found in verse number 25 or 4, and it serves there. The final statement of the host in verse 24 gave the point of the parable and serves as a, and I'm going to put it this way, a bookend to the first statement of the Pharisee at the banquet. Okay, you have a man saying, it's great, blessed is the person that's going to be at this feast, and you have this last statement made by the, the person at the feast, but you know, it's kind of hard to, you know, at times you go, is it the man at the feast saying this, or is it the Lord saying this? Because oftentimes, Jesus said, for I say unto you, And that's how this man makes the statement, for I say unto you, this is a common way of Jesus saying, I'm going to tell you something that is going to correct your thinking. But it's it's the person who's got the feast that's doing this, but you're kind of going, is it really the Lord saying this, or is it the person in the story saying it? But he states this fact, that these individuals are not going to be a part of the supper. They which are bidden shall, taste, or shall not taste of my supper. And this leads to that last paragraph. The religious leaders expected that they would be in the kingdom. Now, we're, we're going to be there someday. And they just assumed this as being children of Israel and uh, descendants of Israel and children of Abraham uh, and being those that are the ones who are following the law of Moses, all the important things that they had set up as being important, they're going to be there. However, they had ignored the invitations from Jesus. I mean, Jesus had been going through, and you say, how is Jesus inviting? Well, Jesus had done miracles and taught the need for repentance and faith in him. Jesus, okay, that's the blank there. Jesus was the invitation. He is the invite. 
And for these men, they sit there and they have front row seats, literally at times, to observe Jesus, hear what he says, and go, this one is the one that God wants us to pay attention to. He's the Messiah. He's the chosen one, okay? That's the thought process here. Uh, You think of this literally in Mark chapter 2, and it's in other of the Gospels, but Mark chapter 2, you have this man who's lowered through the roof. And in the front rows, because they had pushed their way to the front inside this house, were the Pharisees, and they're sitting here listening to Jesus trying to catch him. And when this man's lowered down through the roof, he doesn't say, be healed. He says, thy sins be forgiven thee. And in their head, they're just going, well, wait a second. Only one person can forgive sins, and that's God. You go, well, why is that the case? Because the, only the person who has been offended can forgive, truly. God's the one, who's been, the one who's been offended. He's the one who can truly give forgiveness. And they're thinking this through his head, and Jesus immediately reads their mind, and he tells them what they're thinking, and he goes, because you don't think that the, the Son of Man has a right to forgive sins. He turns to the man, and he says, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And the man walks out, and you have the crowds that are praising God, but you've got the Pharisees who are sitting in the front row fuming over the fact the man has just been healed, and that the Lord is, is challenging their thinking. So these men think, okay, he is doing things the way that we don't expect the Messiah to be and what we expect because he's confronting us that we're not necessarily as righteous as we think we are. And so they are rejecting Jesus. It's like these lame excuses. These people with lame excuses that aren't accepting Jesus. There's no reason why they should ignore him, but they are. They reject Jesus and would not be a part of the banquet. The ones who were thought to be least likely to be part of the kingdom were the ones responding to Jesus' invitation. I mean, think about who you would, if you were to take the poll in society, who's not going to make it into the kingdom of heaven? And the poll in that day would be, uh, let's see. Let's see, you go through, you would go, okay, publicans. Okay, so tax collectors sinners, and definitely not Gentiles, okay, other nations. That would, that would be the poll. That's what they would think. Well, here you have, in Jesus' time, Jesus is sitting down with meals for people who are publicans and sinners. They're delighting to be in his presence. They're excited that he's there. They're enjoying feasting with him now, and it's because they've accepted him, and they're going to be part of the kingdom, And it's not only those individuals that are going to be part of the kingdom, this idea of going into the highways and byways or the the hedges and going far out to look for individuals to call them in, this is a hinting at the fact that there's going to be a call to the nations, the Gentiles, people in difficult places, faraway places, and that they're going to be a part of the kingdom also. Jesus had already hinted at this, Uh, You have a man who's a Roman soldier uh, or a centurion who calls for Jesus to come, and he says, listen, all you have to do is say the word, and I believe that you can heal, heal my servant. And Jesus goes, I haven't found such a faith in all of Israel. 
And it's going to be that people from the east, west, north, and south are going to come and sit at the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom, and they're going to sit at the table and eat with them. And what the Lord is saying, he's not saying we're talking about you know, people right here. We're talking about people from all the surrounding nations are going to be part of the kingdom of heaven. I mean, he's already hinted at this uh, with these men. They've heard these type of things. And so even people far away would be part of the kingdom because they would respond to the invitation. And really, this is what the whole book of Acts is. You have hints of it, but the book of Acts is just showing you have Jews in far-reaching places that are responding that never heard the message, but you have a whole bunch of Gentiles, a whole bunch of people of different nations, tribes, people, tongues, and languages uh, all over the world responding to the message of Jesus Christ. They're, they're accepting the invitation, and yet you have people here who have lame excuses. <clears throat> I thought about this some, and there's a lot of people who have lame excuses when you think about eternity and the possibility of having eternity, and it's as simple as accepting the invitation of Jesus. I mean, we, we laugh at these men. What, what lame excuses. I mean, <laughs> we can see right through this. These are so shallow uh, that they can't possibly write. But, but then you talk with people, and when it comes to the invitation that you can be part of the eternal kingdom, both here on earth and in heaven, you can enjoy the glories of being with God forever. And it's as simple as accepting the invitation that Jesus Christ died for you, a sinner. And it's that simple, accept the invitation. And they will not because they've got other things. You know what? Not today. I've got some other living to do, or I've got uh, these things that I have to do here, or I don't think that's enough. I, I, I'm going to go someplace else that seems to be more important to me. And you kind of go, those are really empty and shallow excuses in light of what the invitation is to be a part of a feast. It's that simple. Just respond to it uh, and be a part of it. And so this is, you know, targeting the Pharisees here. Because what he's saying to them, those men will not be there. They are bidden, but they will not come. They're not going to be a part of my feast. He's talking to the men in the room there. You're missing out on the invitation. Now, that's not to say that there weren't any Pharisees that got saved. Can we think of some? Pharisees that came to Christ accept the invitation? Nicodemus? Joseph Arimathea? I mean, we know of individuals like that. Eventually have someone further along uh, who is a Pharisee who accepts it. Paul, formerly known as Saul. Um, so it's not that the Lord's saying no Pharisees will ever be a part of the kingdom of heaven, but he's, he's warning these individuals and the likelihood of the men in that room being a part of the kingdom probably didn't happen because it's a warning to them. And so as you go through this, it is one where you just kind of go, there are a lot of people that they ignore the invitation and come up with lame excuses that they don't need Jesus or not right now or whatever, and they forget the fact that it just simply says today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow or some other time, not, you know, don't delay and put it off. No, the invitation is today. The, the feast is ready for you to enjoy. And so don't put it off. So um, a good parable to remind us, you know, if we're, we're here and still are going, well, I've got other things, I don't want to accept Jesus yet because it's going to cost me time or, or fun or whatever, and you just kind of go, no, no, the, the invitation ought to be accepted now, not some other time. But any questions on it, thoughts on this passage? Um,
Anything on this? Yes. First blank. Explanation. They serve as a bookend. Bookend, yes. You know, you used to have bookends where you would hold books. There's not so much anymore, but you'd have something on one end and something on the other, and they were usually identical. They kind of looked like each other. You know, that's kind of the idea of the bookends. Um, that's what you have. The Lord's responding to this man's statement that, oh, it's going to be great to be in the kingdom with, not, you're not going to be a part of the kingdom. You know, but the statement is made by an individual at the end, uh, kind of compacting the whole story together that we had to that point. So, yeah.